0: Hey y'all! Welcome to another episode of Venturesnet. I'm your host Caleb Wells, and with me today is my co-host Wiley. Hey, why? Hey, Caleb, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, it's all good. Good. <laughs> you know, it's it's unusual for me to to open the show, right? It's usually... I know she away, so
1: yeah, you have to take <laughs> the um the realms.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, uh, I think I think you and I'll be able to to manage without him and we'll hopefully we'll see him next week. We'll be right.
1: We've got a good guest today, so
0: yeah we do. Yeah. (laughs) Our guest today is uh Morgan Kenyon. Morgan,
2: thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good, good. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract I was paid sixty bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So
0: uh, why don't we start with you telling us um, a little bit about yourself and how you got into that, well, development in general, and we'll we'll go from there.
3: Yeah. So just a little bit of my history. Uh, I like never programmed before I got to college and had a brother-in-law who did programming. and. I was kind of like, I don't really know what to choose career-wise. I was pretty good at like math and science. so I'm like, hey, can you like show me some programming stuff? So we downloaded a Java on my machine and gave me a book, started taking some classes and ended up liking it, graduating it. And now I've worked professionally in programming for the last five-ish years, six years, I guess the last four of those being in the C-sharp stack. And currently I work at a company called Paycom. Uh, we do HR human capital management software. So basically from hiring to retiring, you try to solve all of your business HR needs. And I work on the team that does handles notifications. So if you receive any communication via email, text, call from Paycom and it's automated, it will generally be through software that I wrote or helped write. Good place to say, uh, these are my opinions, not Paycom sponsored opinions, but throw that in there yeah and i currently live in dfw I have a wife two great kids third one on the way in october so uh, life is hectic around here congratulations Yeah. <laughs> ah, thank you life is always hectic with young kids right mm. but that's part of the fun yeah we'll have three under four for about a month and so okay. oh, god, yeah young kids I think they say that life really
1: changes. I mean, life changes when you have kids. But I think the third one, that's, that's a big change because that's when you need to start thinking about upgrading your car and stuff. Especially with four. They're all going to need child seats, right? So, But yeah, they're, we,
3: they're all being under four. So, Yeah, we spent some money on a van. And <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, running out of space in our house. So, yeah. <laughs> obviously, lots of money I'm, involved.
0: Uh, I'm the oldest of four boys. So, I understand a big house. And my wife and I decided one was enough for us. <laughs> so he's yeah. five and he's uh, he's a handful. He keeps us busy. Yes. So Morgan, right, you came into programming kind of a, a little different path. I mean, we all have our own paths, right? I'm I am self-taught or on the job trained. I'm not I don't have a degree in computer science. What what really interests you most about programming? or um, languages like C Sharp or Java?
3: So yeah, programming in general, I really love like the do-it-yourself aspect to it. Like most programming languages, you can kind of get started pretty simply, usually free and, you know, just Google something. And if you Google enough things, you'll probably solve your problem and just keep going from there. And if you still can't solve it, you can ask a question on Stack Overflow or whatever. That was really easy for me to transition into programming because I also like robotics, but like I only had a hundred dollars as a college student. And so like, I couldn't buy any no money stuff. for pots. <laughs> yeah. But programming is like, it's simple. It's easy. Like it doesn't cost money. Yeah. And for me, like I went to a school where we did Java primarily. So I got a Java job right out of college. Yeah. But through one of, I guess my first job change started doing C-sharp a lot more and I really enjoyed just the just some of the differences that makes C sharp unique, and it's been a while since I've been in Java land, so I can't really see what it is now. But like, there were definitely some major differences, and I'm like, I, this is I really enjoy this every day. I use this every day, and I don't really want to give this up if I had to go back. So yeah, I do C sharp pretty much every day. I love it. I think well, I haven't done that much job. I've done a little
1: bit for like yeah, like you at university, and um, also. Done some Android programming here and there. I think what, so I don't, I, I, I can't speak of any of that, that much authority at all. But, um, I think what, my, what I've noticed that was most different was the tool set. Like the, the Microsoft tool set is just, like Visual Studio is basically the best idea you're ever going to use, basically. Whereas I remember when I was, a, when I was using Java at the start, I was using like Eclipse and stuff. It was just, mm-hmm. and I think IntelliJ is a little bit better, but it was just, it's just so terrible like, compared to Visual Studio. Yeah.
0: You know, I think really that the ecosystem that Microsoft has created mm. around .NET and C Sharp is one of its, one of their biggest strengths, right? Because like Morgan said, uh, these days it's more accessible than ever, right? Everything you need is free. There's tons mm. of information out there. There's Stack Overflow, which um, for some reason I was actually thinking about this the other day. I remember reading The Coding Horror blog, when he was talking about creating Stack Overflow and trying to figure out, I remember that. Yeah, um, Jeff, I remember that. Right, shows you how long, (laughs) long we've been, been tinkering with this. But stuff like Stack Overflow, right? uh, Definitely, if you're the inquisitive type, you can you can figure things out. And if you have mentors or people to to help you through, uh, it's C Sharp and .Net is a is a great um, environment and ecosystem to come into
3: yeah i mean they obviously spend a lot of money and want to make it very seamless and they do sometimes i wish some of i, I dabble in f sharp a little bit so sometimes i wish i got a little more attention but it's definitely like yeah very seamless very easy everything's very integrated they have a large number of docs and so it's definitely a great professional language to use like day in day out like it gets the job done and it runs well
0: do you find yourself doing functional programming in C sharp? Because I know they've they brought a lot of the stuff that worked out really well in F sharp or some of the nice features. They pulled it into C sharp.
3: Yeah, they definitely have been incorporating some of those. I, f- I find C sharp functional wise not super easy or intuitive. And I never like programmed F sharp for like six months at a time. So I'm like, oh, now I can think everything functionally. I'm still pretty intro in that. But yeah, there's definitely some things I like about F that are not supported in like C, like option types are really like, like union types are really like. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And we'll talk a little about that at some point, maybe if we get to that. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely think C has trended that direction. And I think if you talk to like a functional language purist, they'd probably not like what <laughs> C has done. But
0: I, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with functional programming myself. I mean, I've tinkered with it because it's its really, it's a different way of thinking, right? Or a different way of approaching the problems.
3: Yeah, and um, it's like, if we lived in a world where I could like snap my finger and everything becomes functional, I feel like I would do that because it would just make everything a better experience. But hmm. I live in the reality of most people things are object-oriented and right. C-Sharp does a very good job and has improved on that, I feel like, well...
0: So something that you've brought up before we started the podcast, it's compile-driven development. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell, tell us what that is and why you're interested in it?
3: Yeah, um, so I've really just explored and been interested in the idea of like how a compiler can help you like, as a programmer. Um, so I'll start with a little analogy. So we've all probably written some JavaScript uh, on our own. And you, know, you save a JS, file, a .js file and you're about to load it in your browser. And like, can you like make any like assumptions or guarantees about like what that file would do like when you load it in your browser? And like, no, not really, because it's a dynamic language. Like it could be so like, d- valid It depends on
0: how good you are with JavaScript and what you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, you, there's, it's the wild, wild west, right?
3: Yeah, and yeah, so you just never really know and like, me as a developer, I have to verify like literally everything about either the changes that are made or that file that is working as expected, like every time that I save that. Um, But if you like incorporate like a TypeScript over that, it doesn't solve all your problems, but there's like some aspect of like, at least you're using your types correctly. And so maybe if you're worrying about a hundred things, maybe types being checked for you takes away like 15 or 20 of those things. And so it gives you a little helping hand to make sure that what you're writing is what you expect to be writing and like works correctly. And it'd be nice if, or, you know, I think the goal, like the perfect programming language would be allow you to like only care about business logic and the compiler would help make sure anything that could go wrong, like you are like tracking that and making sure you're getting that correct.
0: No language is there, but but the, but the progression of the .NET framework because I've been using it right for a long time, is that they? I feel like they have progressively removed some of the need for boilerplate and mm-hmm. made some of that simpler. Yeah. And then with Visual Studio, like we were talking, right? It's it is looking out for you and it's catching obvious things and maybe even not so obvious things before you even you know finish saving the file. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I was looking at some of the stuff in the next version of Visual Studio. And when you're building out classes, it's actually using IntelliSense to, to basically suggest properties on those classes based on the class type or how you're building it. It's some right. crazy stuff.
3: Yeah, I've been yeah using some like AI auto-suggest or maybe IntelliSense, I can't remember what their branding is. I've seen some demos, those look really cool. But I think like for me, those are definitely useful. But like from when they become like a language supported feature, Like, there's really no way around, like, if it does not compile, like, you're forced to deal with that problem. Because I know for me, like, when it comes to null pointers, like, I know everything can be a null. But I'm like, I always forget that, because I'm tracking other things. And so when the language introduces like a way to compile check, like, hey, this could be null, like, make sure you don't forget that. Like, that just helps me as a programmer, just make sure I'm not forgetting some of those simple things that I like, I know that should not, or I shouldn't forget, but I always
1: do. Well, have any of you guys turned on that, um, that null reference checking thing from, um, is it C sharp eight
3: now
1: or C sharp seven? Um,
3: it was eight. Uh, the optional
1: thing. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I've played around with that and it changes the way you think about like, like your classes. Like, I'm prone to now, I will like create a constructor or anything because I want to guarantee that, like, this will not be null. And I don't have setters because mm-hmm. I don't want them to set things to be null. You'd almost really need to start over. You know, it'd be interesting doing it on an, an, an old project,
1: but I'm guessing you'd probably do it if, when you start a new project. Although you can do it um, file by file. So you could probably do it one at a time.
3: Yeah, I've never, I haven't used it in a professional setting, but just on my own playing around, I've used it. And, Mm-hmm. I've always used Auto AutoMapper just like at work and in projects, mm-hmm. and this makes Good. me think like not using AutoMapper because oh, okay. you have to leave results open to potentially be null because you have to make everything have a getter and setter, and not using the constructor at least I think that's how I use AutoMapper.
0: Yeah. No, I I got you. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. C sharp they have a suggested way of doing things. But then there's there's some gray area and a lot of flexibility when it comes. One thing that comes to mind with me is uh, using the dynamic type, right? Because then you're you're basically saying, I know what I'm doing. I have an idea of how this is going to go, and you're not going to get it compile time if you blow something up. Yeah. Right. Which is the which is the the opposite direction that you're that you're talking. Yeah. Um, have you used dynamic types before?
3: Just playing around, and I know there's like specific. Use cases. I remember reading something about some Excel library that like couldn't use strong typing and like had to use a random keyboard keyword. So yeah, I definitely feel like there's times that require that. But I think there's a difference between like using dynamic because I don't want to use the term like lazy, but just like mm. I just don't yeah. want to put the work into like in Oh right. Absolutely. Word.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. think a lot of it's just the right tool for the right right job, really. Like it's good to it's good to have choices. Like I get what you're saying about trying to find as many, um, errors at design time as possible, I guess, um, over runtime because runtime errors don't fail as, you know, gracefully as design time errors. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you can see, you can, I can understand the popularity of, of, of a language like JavaScript, you know, like, um, the, the, the barrier to, to entry is so low, you know, like anyone can just pick it up and start running with it. And, sometimes your 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 program doesn't require you to to do those checks it's just like it's just easier and quicker to to just write all the stuff up and deal with it later kind of thing you know? and i think i talk to a lot of uh, functional programmers even though i have that much that much experience with it um and i guess the idea i get from them is that like they can overcome a lot of the um the the, the features of the strongly typed languages by by doing a lot of testing you know like so they can they can Yeah, so they really focus on unit testing. I think that's the whole pure function movement, I guess, being um,
3: running code that's really easy to test. Yeah, and I think you bring up some good points. Like I use Python to just kind of hack together CSV files and like, it's great, it's easy. I know for me, just like in a professional setting, if I'm like one of 100 developers working on code base, like Mm. having a type system really like, am I going to break everyone else's developer experience when they pull this down? Mm. Some of that fear, I just like, I don't know. Like, there is no guarantee until you run it, and so I can't run everyone's file. I think even in, in a setting, um, something that's really good is to pick a.
1: Like for me, anyway, in my opinion, of picking a framework that's opinionated as well, like like Angular. If you're um if you're working with a with a big team, because then I guess everyone that works, but like with something like Angular, anyone that's ever worked on an Angular project should be able to just look at a another Angular project mm-hmm. and just have a. Pretty good understanding of how how it works pretty much straight away, and there's yeah. conventions that everyone knows. So yeah, it's, it's not as angular as like even like something like MVC and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's every, it, there's that universal pattern that everyone uses. Does
0: so. mm-hmm. your does your team use any formatters or linters or anything like StyleCop or whatever to to make sure that that you're all your your development all follows the same pattern?
3: So we have something in VS Visual Studio that like we'll auto format code some of the times and it's pretty good but like there's some that just aren't formatted I don't know if people haven't touched the file in a while or they just don't want to format it for whatever reason um, but I do work a little bit in a react um, code base and they have like a linters connected into git hooks that's and true. so like right. literally like anytime a code is checked into source control, like it automatically styles it. And I found that like very seamless and I love that feature. And I could probably set that up in C-sharp if I spent enough time doing that, but not made that time investment at the moment.
0: It's definitely one of those things that it's worth spending the time to do, but you don't necessarily have the time, especially when you're in the middle of a project. Yeah. And then um, I've run into stuff where, right, one of my coworkers uses a Mac and I use Windows, and then you get the Control, Return, Line Feed differences between the two, even if you set them up correctly, and get all that stuff factors in. But that, but that's that's not a C Sharp thing. That's more of just uh, patterns and practices within your team thing. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you like most about C Sharp?
3: Yeah. So one of the things that like I think I use every day and is a feature that other languages are copying is like c sharp's async await functionality, keywords, I guess coming from a Java background, like I'd written some callbacks at once or twice and like, it was not fun and a pain, but like C-sharp as a language, like we're going to solve that problem for you and we're going to allow you to use it in a way that basically you don't, mentally have to like, oh, I'm now doing async programming here. Like I'm writing in a synchronous nature because I just call a method and then it returns to me at some point. So I feel like that is like one of the most useful features in C Sharp right now is because I I want to write high-performing like web applications and like writing synchronous code is like one of the easiest ways not to get that. And like the compiler like checks me every single time, uh, like making sure I use that correctly and making sure that I don't mess that up.
0: Yeah, one of the I think we've I think we've done an episode where we basically focused on asynchronous code in C Sharp, and they definitely they make it they make it very easy, even to the point where you can use it and it not really work, and they just it just keeps on going. One of the things that that I run into every time I do asynchronous programming in C Sharp is the debugging process, right? and especially if you're you're using it a lot. Right, you're gonna it's gonna be jumping around because, like you said, you know, it's not it's not waiting on it to come back, it'll come back when it's ready, kind of thing. Which I, I'll, you know, she you may hit that same breakpoint, you know, five times and then you get what you actually need. But yeah, it's definitely one of those features where they've they've simplified it, uh, similar to what I was talking about earlier. Uh, for instance, with ado.net, right, you don't have to do that boilerplate anymore, you have entity framework and link, right. And, and they obfuscate that stuff away and let you focus more on the business logic than the mm-hmm. boilerplate.
3: Yeah, yeah. one of the other things I really like that I haven't really played around as much is like the span and memory types, span of T, memory of T. You know, when you think of C-sharp or like a garbage, I don't know, you don't have to manage memory yourself. Garbage collection. Garbage collection. Yeah, when you think of C-sharp and Java, you know, garbage collected language. You're like, well, you just can't get memory. can't get the performance that you like you need. But I don't know if it was .NET Core 2.1. One of those, like they introduced like the span of T, memory of T. And it basically gives you access to memory in a way that the compiler will like check it and make sure you're not really abusing it as much. You know, C Sharp used to be able to like use the unsafe keyword and then you could do whatever you wanted in memory but like the compiler is just like hands off it's hopefully you don't screw it up I'm not, I'm not i'm not like deep into that those features and you can probably mess it up as well but just like some of the big important important big performance some of the big performance improvements with like the .NET core web api comes from like some of those libraries those are base libraries using those types to really simplify and
2: improve performance. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software, and what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month.
0: I think them making the decision to start over with .NET Core. Was was I mean that was a big deal, of course, on their end. But I think it was the right decision, and it's definitely um, provided tons of improvements for the framework as a whole. Um, do you see that that from the the .NET framework to .NET Core, um, you've had improvements in your your work and your speed and in how you you write C sharp.
3: Yeah, I definitely enjoy the more opinionated nature of like dependency injection with.net core uh, versus like um, the framework app i've kind of observed like twitter world for a little bit kind of as.net core was rolling out i've like seen some graphs of like framework performance and then like it just like drops when they introduce like their.net core api when they migrate over um and it's like pretty starking just how much improvement they've like gotten out of that like for a for like a framework, a .NET framework that was developed for like 20 years. And they switched over and they're still getting like pretty significant performance gains out of it. It's like pretty remarkable. And I think Stephen Tubb from the .NET team, like every major release he like produced, he writes some big long write-ups, like here's some performance gains. And they're still like, oh, this was 40% faster on .NET 3.1 than it was on .NET 2.2. And so like, yeah, it's been, that's hasn't really impacted me day to day too much, just because I don't do a lot of performance, just on my local machine. But definitely, like in the world of servers, like it's decreased the resources we need to run the same stuff.
0: I've been so used to pulling in System.Web in .NET Framework because
3: you you don't have a choice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and that's and that's no longer the case with .NET Core, right? Um, so,
3: yeah, I, I've yeah, I mainly do .NET Core in my job, and every once in a while I have to do. Move back over to .NET Framework, and I'm like, oh, how did this work again? Um, definitely like on the younger side, but yeah, I did Framework for the first three-ish years when I was not .NET, um, and I definitely enjoyed Core more.
0: Why, did you have any questions, or do we want to go to the other languages section?
3: Maybe the other languages section, yeah. Okay.
1: that's interesting.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So, something else. Right, you mentioned F Sharp and you mentioned some of the benefits that come with different languages. What are some other languages that you like and some of the features that you like in those languages?
3: Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, like if you're talking .NET, I think most people would think like C-sharp. Um, but Microsoft does have a functional programming language that targets the .NET framework or .NET ecosystem like F-sharp. Um, I think sometimes I wish it get a little more love from Microsoft. Um, but yeah, it's a functional languages, it's a functional language. And I think most people who use those would say they're just a little easier to do a little more checking for you. Um, I don't know if you're aware, like what an option type is, but basically in C sharp, like you can return an object and you know, that object can always be null, but that's never explicitly stated like in The language or in your return type is just an object. And like, you're supposed to know, like, oh, yeah, this can also be null. But in like F sharp, an option type, an option type is basically either it can be a type or it could be nothing or none. Um, Hmm. So it forces you to deal with the fact that it's not always that object, it can be null. Um, So basically, like little things like that, that like your code won't compile unless you handle that none case. So to prevent like null pointer exceptions, union types I really enjoy, which are basically kind of enums. Functional purists would probably not call them that, but I'm calling them that. But they just have a lot of more compiler support and usage. So you can create a switch statement with an enum and the compiler will force you to handle every case. So if you like, if you have five enum values, then like, oh, let's add a six one. And then you forgot to update it in a couple of places in your code in like C sharp. And then Something's running, how you not expect it to again C sharp and F sharp, you'll get a compiler error saying, like, oh, this switch statement does not have your six enum case. Like you need to add it. So it just has like some of those niceties that take away some of like the problems I feel like that I experience on a day-to-day basis just working in like an object-oriented language such as C sharp. And F sharp has a like a UI framework called Elmish, which is based on a Language and framework called Elm. But it's basically like our the paradigm is called MVU model view update. Um, and it's basically like compile time checking that your UI app works as expected. So just a little analogy: like, have you guys ever written like front-end framework where you know you're like when you make, click on this button, it like fires a JavaScript JavaScript event, and you have like handlers that are waiting or listeners that are waiting for those events. And so that's all like implicit. Like, I know that when I click on this, it'll fire this event. I know you have some code over here that will listen for it. But if you got got the wrong listener or it's not referenced, like you have to go manually check and see if everything's working. But in Elmish and and in Elm, like those, they call the messages are like baked into the, like your programming language and so when you click on a button it generates a message and you have to handle that message in your update statement and so it or i've had people talk about their experiences in that language of like you get it to compile and it's pretty much a guarantee that it'll work as expected like 100% of the time and so i've really enjoyed like working in that framework because i think it just takes away and solves a lot of the problems that i just encounter on a day-to-day basis and Elm kind of started this pattern. It's pretty popular, and there's a company I think, No Red Ink, that uses that, and they said they went years without a production exception in their Elm code, which is like pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it definitely sounds like if if it can compile, you can almost guarantee it's going to do what it's supposed to do. That's a that's a positive. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Rust is another one, right? And I have never used Rust. But my understanding is it's a very popular language. Yeah. Do you have any experience with it?
3: I have played around with it enough to know that it's hard to kind of wrap your brain around that. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty popular. It's shown up, I think, number one on like the Stack Overflow most loved languages for the last couple of years on their yearly Stack Overflow survey. But the thing that I think is pretty revolutionary about Rust is it basically has compile time checking on your memory usage. Like, they have, like, are in their language, they have, like, the borrower and a couple of their concepts, and I'm forgetting. But basically, if it compiles, like, you pretty much guaranteed that you will not have any memory problems with your code. And it's targeted, like, to systems programming, kind of like the C, C++ niche. But it solves a lot of the memory problems or vulnerabilities that occur in, like, a C or C++ code base because... People just kind of forget, and they lose track of memory themselves. But Rust is definitely like you have to take time to change the way you think about code and memory usage and ownership. Like only one, I guess I'm not a Rust programming, but yeah, I would love to like have three weeks to actually like program that for program in Rust for a while, but that kind of time. Are we all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So something else that you've you've been dealing with, and I think a lot of us deal with, is pain in your hands or wrists or fingers. A lot of people have carpal tunnel. I know that when my wrist starts bothering me, I wear uh, wrist guards or wrist wraps. But you you've been dealing with that fairly significantly recently, and you've you found a couple of ways of working around it. Can you tell us about
3: it? Yeah. I guess for me, I just always thought like it'd be a programmer. I love typing on the keyboard. I love programming, but about 10 months ago, like I just started having some small pain in my hands and that kind of gradually built over a couple months until I got like pretty painful. Had to take some time off work, kind of questioning of like, am I gonna program again? Am I gonna have to get a new job? Um, so definitely like those were not some fun months, but kind of in that search, uh, I found a language or I don't know how you'd actually describe it. It's not a language, more like a framework, but basically like a code by voice system. And so it's called Talon or Talon voice. Basically like there are shortcuts, like a a mouse click is like a, like that's a mouse click in Talon. And so you can like set up, there's some simple ones you can do that, but basically it's just a text to, or a voice to text translation system. Um, And so I've kind of been on this, this, edge or this line of like, sometimes my hands feel good, sometimes they don't. So I've never like, I like can only program by talent voice or only program by voice. There's definitely people that have done that and have been able to work just using their voice, which I find is like pretty remarkable. And I definitely know, like, it's helpful to know there's another path there. If like hand pain doesn't really work out and doesn't really allow me to get back to work as I would like to do.
1: Well, i mean with this um working from home era that probably makes it more like easier like if if you did that in the office you might kind of start annoying people after a while but but yeah I think that's really good I might have to check it out like um I, I probably wouldn't use it just completely but um I think it'd be kind of cool to just kind of if you have a couple of shortcut words you can just kind
3: of go like you just say it and then it immediately does something yeah like you can yeah you can target like a specific app like in the context of this app I want yeah. A particular word or a particular phrase to like do a couple actions. Mm. So yeah, I yeah I would find it useful. Or I always think I should do this, but I haven't yet. But just like yeah, any apps that I use, like shortcuts that I have to do a couple of button clicks, like I could create a voice shortcut for that. Mm. Um, and I could just say something and it does it all automatically. Yeah, but I guess I we can include a like a conference talk by like someone in that community that. Uh, it's called Pearl Out Loud is the name of her talk. Like her just kind of talking about her journey and also doing a demo. Uh, but she says she like programs on her couch and like programs laying down. She just has a TV because like it's all voice. There's like no need to have a keyboard. And have heard. you thought about
1: um like, is it, is it the typing that hurts or is it the, the mouse? Because a lot of people, like this is a very common thing that you're experiencing to be honest. Yeah. And a lot of people actually, um, you know, they, they might switch their mouse hand around and things like that. Yeah, it's both.
3: Yeah, I've like changed keyboards, changed mouse, got a standing Mm -hmm. desk. Yeah, yeah, I've been, it's been an ordeal. And maybe I know what it is. Maybe it might take some while to find out, but like, it's kind of one of those things where I've been to, I don't know, six, seven doctors, and they've all like had some ideas that I haven't really worked out. Gotcha. So, (laughs) yeah, I don't really know. But yeah. It's one of
0: those things where you just got to kind of keep trying to find the right ergonomics for you. Right. I changed my mouse to a trackball that actually is up and down things like this all day. Yeah. And it, yeah, horizontal. Yeah. Right. Because people can't see me. Thank you, Morgan. <laughs> <more. laughs> and um and it's made a difference, right? So it's stuff like that, even if it seems like it's a small thing, you know, it's worth trying things out and seeing if it if it helps with with issue because like why i said this is this is very common especially for in the development community so
3: yeah
1: um, yeah i think we have a tendency to just just work and work and work and work and, and just forget to get up and do stuff as well and that's probably what kind of contributes to it i think
3: yeah and there's also just the it never hurt before so i don't really care hmm. about what like position i'm in and then like oh this actually yeah. is important to me
0: mm. You know, my my Fitbit reminds me every hour if I haven't gotten up and walked 250 steps. But do you actually <laughs> listen to it? Like, <laughs> no, I don't. Like and I, <laughs> I'll just go, I don't, I don't listen minutes. to it every hour, but but the reminder is good, right? Because yeah. it's like, hey, you know, you're 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 sedentary, right? Which that that's that's a big part of our lifestyle. I get that, right? But even my wife and I have have talked at home she stays seated for longer periods of time when she's writing articles than when she's in the office. Because when she's in the office, she's up more, she may go talk with someone, she may go get a cup of coffee, and, and she's running to she's right with pain and swelling in her feet because she's sitting for longer periods of time. So it's just one of those things, those, those reminders, even if you don't follow them every time, can, mm. can be helpful. Yeah. So. I
1: think um, a colleague actually had a program which um, instead of just reminding you, it literally locks you out of the system for like 30 seconds. <laughs> like, um, and you're supposed to do these exercises in that time. So that's, oh my goodness. that's going the hardcore that way. Be <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Be yeah one one of i those be on a team's call and just like <laughs> <laughs> out. I'll be back in 30 seconds.
3: <laughs> there yeah. you go. There one you of the things I've done lately is just I focus on like drinking a gallon of water every day. And so I feel like mm. I have to go to the bathroom like every hour. Um, <laughs> so it's a biological clock. But that's a good one, yeah. That's a good tip, I say. Yeah.
0: So, Morgan, is there is there anything else you wanted to discuss or anything else you think people should know about compile-driven
3: development in and, and C Sharp? Stay tuned because you know C Sharp is changing fast. That's one of the things I like about it. Yes, um, yes it is. And I guess C Sharp 9 is coming out. Sorry, I think C Sharp 10 is coming out with .NET 6.0 in November. So I'm excited about that. And I think C sharp nine brought record types, if I'm right, I mean that correctly. Yep. And I haven't really looked up what C sharp 10 is bringing, but I feel like every language or every language release they deliver some functionality that's like, oh, I can see myself using that and that could solve a problem for me.
0: I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to, and it's not necessarily C uh,
3: C sharp specific,
0: is the hot reload stuff um, yes especially with the work i'm going to be doing with blazer in the near future it's going to make uh lives a whole lot easier
3: yeah that is one thing i like about javascript and react is like hot reload that i am really excited to come into uh, the net world
0: all right well if there's a if there's nothing else then i guess we'll we'll move on
2: to picks hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: Why? What's your what's your pick for this week?
2: Okay, So this week, I thought
1: I'd, I'd do my pick to be the game that I was playing with my friend last night. It's called Overcooked. I'm not sure if you guys oh, yeah. know but it's but. You yes. yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've heard of it because you're well, big into
0: gaming. It's it is good game, but it is hard to play with a five year old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's hard to play with like another like thirty ish year old. Yeah. You know, like um, <laughs> but, like it was just it's just one of those games where like yeah, I think the, the whole the whole thing that you have to it's, it's you have to has to be like a multiplayer game, and yes. yeah, you're both like a cook in a kitchen, and you got to kind of like communicate to figure out how to cook like the right yeah, team that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah it's pretty fun it's kind of frustrating after a while because maybe basically because I'm terrible at the game and um, he's relatively well it's, good, well, it's so. like
0: <laughs> who's cleaning the dishes and wait I need more onions oh and the the, the pot is boiling over oh no get the extinguishers <laughs> right and if there's if there's only two of you it gets really hectic really quick
1: I think um, what we need is actually a third player to just be yeah. not even playing, just to tell
3: us what, what to actually do. Right. Okay. To navigate person. Yeah. yeah. There's also yeah. like an earthquake happened and like split the kitchen in half, right? Those are like... Oh, did right. does
1: that happen? I, I haven't got to that yes. point yet. Like, yeah. feel,
3: so. and, well, there's,
0: and there's also one where you're on a ship and every f- 30 seconds or so, the waves actually move all the tables from one end of the ship to the other and you get pushed and you have to walk around and yeah, it's it's a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. But cool. Alright. So, my pick this week maybe is a little unorthodox. Today is my last day working at CDIT Solutions and it's a consulting firm that does development in a number of different languages, frameworks. Been a Honestly, it's been a really great company to work for. Good people, smart people, really good owner, lots of nice benefits, extra perks. I've enjoyed uh, working there. I am taking a position as a software architect with another company. I mean, that's the reason why I'm leaving. But I wanted CDIT Solutions to be my pick this week because they are uh, a really good company to work for and they are currently hiring. Some .NET developers and iOS developers, and a number of different different areas. So, if you are a developer looking for a good place to work, uh, CDT Solutions is it. All right, Morgan. What about you?
3: Yeah, for my pick this week, uh, I'm going to pick a YouTube channel called Not Just Bikes. Okay. I've like kind of been interested in like city planning and how to create a city that's more livable and just more fun to live in, mm-hmm. and. The guy who runs this channel uh, lives in Amsterdam. Um, so he just kind of talks about city design, things that Amsterdam does well, things that America and Canada do not do well. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I I enjoy that. I think it's fun. i well, I'm, I'm in Amsterdam, that. but they're really big into
1: like riding there, right? Because the whole city's flat and everyone rides it. That sounds like
3: that sounds awesome. so awesome you know like, like a like a city like that yeah they have invested a lot in infrastructure the last 30 years of like you want to help make non-car ways of being around the city able mm. and sometimes yeah. like prioritize those so i see it's kind of remarkable just like to see a city very different than like anything I've seen in America we're very car-centric yes yeah, yeah. same as the city I, I live in actually you, I think it's just, yeah,
1: this is the design of the city, but it's also the like I think it's just really hilly where I am. So you, you can't really ride very far, to be honest. Like, um, I mean you could, like, but it's just for the regular person. You couldn't just ride more than like you know, five kilometers or whatever, because you'd be riding up hills and things like that. Um, but yeah, the traffic and all that stuff can be can be dangerous as well. So yeah.
0: yeah, yep. Yeah, I um I just drove over the back and forth over the high rise here in new orleans and if you're not from new orleans you won't understand but it's you're taking your life in your hands every time you go over this bridge Mm -hmm. so (laughs) (laughs) so morgan if people want to get in touch with you or reach out what's the best way for them to contact you
3: yeah so the best way would be my uh, linkedin account linkedin.com slash morgan space kenyon sorry morgan dash kenyon that's the thing i monitor the most i have a twitter account but I blocked it on my phone because I spent way too much time on there. So. <laughs> there you go.
0: Cool. Cool. And if um, anyone wants to get in touch with with me, you can find me on Twitter at Caleb Wells Coach. All right. Well, Morgan, thank you again for joining us. This has been a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah.
2: Good. Nice meeting both of you. And
0: uh, we'll see you all on the next episode
2: of net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN.